Hey, Forge family. I send you out a blessing for New Year's and hugs. You are a precious company. And for all those who are listening in abroad, scattered abroad, uh, you get a hug too. So let's go back and do a quick look at episode number eight. It's been some weeks, but we were in Genesis 42. And in that passage, we find Jacob and his 11 sons in Canaan. And the famine that was prophesied, if you will, in the dream to Pharaoh, that famine has hit. And the searing east wind has made hunger a desperate situation for the family in Canaan. Jacob has heard that there's grain in Egypt, and he sends ten sons, the ten oldest sons. He's holding Benjamin back, doesn't want to risk this last son of Rachel, his beloved. And he sends off his ten older brothers to go and buy life sustaining food in Egypt. Now on arrival, they're ushered into the presence of the vizier of Egypt, the one who oversees all sales of grain and who, who uh, greets all foreign embassies who are coming to buy. And those ten men don't recognize who that vizier is because it's Joseph. It's their brother. And, and he has disguised himself, but Joseph recognizes his brothers. And he, he starts right in with hard questions. Why are you here? Where did you come from? You guys are spies. And four times he charges them with being in part of an espionage network to seek out the weak places on the frontier of Egypt. Now, that's a real, like we said, that was a real live possibility because hunger would move armies to invade Egypt to get at that grain. And he, he puts those ten brothers into the jail. And he lets them stew there for three days. The end of three days, calls up in front of him and says, I've changed my mind, I'm going to release uh, nine of you, and you're headed home. Take this food, go home to your hungry families, but I'm going to keep this one, Simeon. And he's going to stay in jail here until you bring back your younger brother that you said was home in Canaan with your father. You bring back the younger brother. I know you're not lying to me. And you can then have trading rights and you can buy grain. If you don't bring the younger brother, you'll never see my face again. And you can starve. So they, he loads up the bags, puts them on the donkeys and sends nine brothers up the road. Somewhere on that journey, one of the brothers opens the wrong sack. And there on the top of the big sack of grain is his money. It's, it's the entire amount that he brought to buy grain. It had been replaced back into his sack. And the brothers are rocked. You know, what is God doing? How can this be? Uh, they don't know what to do. But they get back to their father. They make the journey back hundreds of miles back to Canaan. And they get there and they edit their report because, oh, oh, oh yeah, um, Simeon stayed behind. And um, uh, we, we got food, but um, uh, we can't go back and trade for more until we bring Benjamin. And immediately Jacob says, oh, no way, not a chance. I am not going to send off. Um, I'm not going to send off this youngest son, this, this last remaining son of Rachel. And it would kill me. It would just kill me if something were to happen to him. Reuben offers up his two sons. Jacob's very 
grandsons. He says, oh, you could kill my grand, no, kill your grandsons. Kill my sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. And, and, and Jacob doesn't even respond. Jacob just, just blows that off the table. Reuben is trying so hard to, to be strategic and to, to say things and do things, to reestablish himself in the firstborn order. But every time he opens his mouth, it gets worse. All right, Forge family, and, and those of you who listen in, we need to pray because we're, we're headed into a two-and-a-half-long chapter narrative. This is a long account uh, in the Joseph story, and what we want is not the plot. We've got the plot. What we want is, Lord, what is it you're highlighting here? What is it you want us to see? Open our eyes. Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, just as Jacob and, and his sons are running head-on into the effects of their own choices, Lord, Lord, that's just like we do. Uh, you know, we make choices and then, whoa, there's unforeseen consequences. It, Lord, life, life can be really hard. So we ask you now, Lord, help us see the lessons for us out of the life of Jacob and his sons. Give us sight, give us insight so that we can learn the lessons here from the scriptures in Jesus' name. All right. Uh, if you recall, uh, when, when Joseph interpreted the, the double dream to Pharaoh, three times in that passage, Joseph said, God will make it clear to Pharaoh what God is about to do, what Elohim is about to do. And it was really clear that the abundance came from God, but then the famine came from God. So this famine that is hitting the family in Canaan is from God. His hand, his fingerprints are all over it. All right, let's read in uh, Genesis 43, verses 1 to 15. Now the famine was severe in the land, so it came about that when they'd finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. And Judah spoke to him, however, saying, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. That's, that would be Benjamin. Okay? If you send your brother with us, we will go down. Send our brother with us. We will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Israel, Jacob, said, why do you treat me so badly by telling the men whether you still had another brother? But all the sons rise up and they say, But they said, The man questioned particularly about us and our relatives saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. Could we possibly know what he was going to say? Bring your brother down? And Judah said to his father Israel, Send the lad with me. Remember? Reuben said, you can, you can kill your grandson. Here, Judah stands up and says, I'm, I will be the guarantor. Send the lad with me, and I will arise and go, that we may live and not die, we as well as you and our little ones. Now he's quoting back the identical words of, jo of Jacob. Because Jacob had sent them the first time with those words. Go and buy grain so we can live and not die. Judah picks it up and puts it right back into his teeth. Okay? I myself 
will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we are not delayed, surely, if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. Okay? Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do so. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags, carry them to the man as a present, a little balm, a little honey, aromatic gum, myrrh, possession nuts and almonds. Take double the money in your hand. Take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and arise. Return to the man, and the sight of the man, and that he may release to your, your other brother, Simeon, okay, and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money in their hand, and Benjamin, and they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. All right, Forge. Um, I'm sure, day by day by day, as those families in Canaan ate out of the grain sacks, they could see the sack shrinking, slumping, emptying, until finally there's nothing left but dust. And at that point, what does Jacob do? He says, oh, well, just, just go get a little more food. Just get, just get something. And Judah steps up and says, Dad, that's impossible. Because we were told, no, brother, no, that means... That means we're, if you don't come back and prove that we're not spies by bringing our brother, then there's no trading rights. And we will never see that man again. And we will die. And Jacob flashes back at all of them and says, you guys were blabbermouths. Why would you possibly tell the truth? Why would you tell him that there's another brother at home? And, and the answer is, well, he asked. He kept asking, is there another brother? And we just told the truth. Okay. And then Judas, again, steps up and says, send him with me, I'm the guarantor. Okay, and he, again, he uses Jacob's very words so that we will live and not die. All right? <clears throat> and, and I will bring back Benjamin and deliver him to you safely. So here's Jacob, okay? He, he is between um, the mortar and the pestle. All right? For those of you who grind herbs, or salt, or something in the bottom of that grinding bowl. That's Jacob in the bowl. He's being ground down to powder in this, in, in this situation. He's between the rock and the hard place. He's between the asphalt and the cactus pad. Jacob has been operating out of fear and out of control. And the Lord God says, uh-uh, my man, don't do that. My man is going to trust in me. Not in yourself, not in your fear. Kenneth Copeland's one who says, if when we fear, we're actually worshiping Satan. Okay? So turn on that point. You know, fear is a real deal in your life. Turn on that point and say, uh-uh, not going to do that. Okay? Now, I've run across this man, Bob Diefenbaugh. He's an expositor, a pastor, an elder in Texas. Some of his stuff is up on the web. And he, in his bibliography of the, the stuff he's sending out, I, there's a bunch of resources he's quoting I did not even know existed. Other, other expositors, other commentators, it's good stuff. And, and he has a summary 
of Jacob at this point, and it's so good, and I think spot on. I'm just going to read it to you. Now, as I read this, I want you to listen with the ears of the Spirit, because there may be a Jacob in your house. There may be a Jacob in your extended family, or it might be you on some points here. And if the, if the Lord God pokes you, you know, then you need to deal with this. So here's, here's the characteristics of Jacob, and such are some of us, okay? That's just who we are. Number one, whatever problems arise in the life of, of Jacob, whatever problems arise today are best dealt with tomorrow. All right, that's a manana spirit. That's, I'll just let it slide until it gets to crisis proportion. Number two, no problem can possibly be as bad as it seems. Where you just shrug and say, oh, it's just going to go away. Number three, honesty is not the best policy. Number four, always look out for number one. See, Jacob is always consistently looking out for his own interests and not the interests of God, not even the interests of his family. Number five, as much as possible, see to it that others receive the blame if there's any problems. Okay, quick, point at somebody else. Yeah, get the focus off of you. Get it on somebody else. Number six, if, if your efforts to solve a problem fail, then throw in some gifts. Remember, you're talking about you know, honey and almonds and pistachios. And, you know, he's trying to grease the way into the presence of the vizier of Egypt. Remember, he sent out the flocks and herds and donkeys and cattle and to, to go out ahead of him in front of Esau and the advancing armed militia that's coming to greet him back in Canaan. Okay? Because what he really values is Rachel and Joseph and Benjamin, he hides those all the way in the back, hoping, hoping that they'll survive. Okay? If there's a problem, just throw money at it. Number seven, when all else fails, uh, when all else fails, trust God. This is foxhole Christianity. This is foxhole faith. You know, when you've got your head down and everything else has failed and there's incoming fire, then you pray. Then you go, oh God, oh God, oh God, because you've done everything uh, you know, up to that point except trust God. All right, Ford's family. As, as you've heard that description of, of Jacob, pay attention to that. Holy Spirit, would you please help them sense it if it's about them and something for them to deal with? Lord, I ask, I'll put myself at the head of that line, Lord. Me too. Me too. All right, let's read verse 16 to 25. Here we go. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his house steward, Bring the man into the house, slay an animal, make ready for the manor to dine with me at noon. Right, he, I'm, I'm going to pick it up here, and I'm going I'm to narrate this. It's just too much, too much text. He sees the eleven sons of Jacob come in, and he sees the eleventh son, and he sees Benjamin. Still, he's disguised, doesn't deal with them. He just turns to the house steward, says, 
get a meal ready for lunch. Okay? Bring those men to my house. This is a complete break in protocol. Okay? This is not what the vizier of, of Egypt does. He doesn't just open his home. He, he does, he's dealing grain contracts. Okay? But now he's hospitable. So there's something at work here. Okay? Has the steward bring them into the courtyard? Into the courtyard. The brothers try and give back all that money that came home with them in their grain sacks. And the response of the steward is, my account's balanced. If you found treasure, that treasure came from Elohim, from God himself. Keep your money. <laughs> and then he brings out Simeon. Okay? They brought the younger brother. They're not liars. Simeon's set free. Okay? But Simeon's got to wash if he's going into lunch. And he brings out water for all of them to wash. And he feeds their donkey. So he's, he's basically being really hospitable on behalf of Joseph. All right? And so the 11 sons line up now, and they begin to organize this gift. You know, the, the grease, the, 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 the mordida, the little extra thing, or whatever it is that would sort of help them get into the good graces of this man to buy grain. And, you know, it's the balm, the honey, the aromatic gum, the myrrh, the pistachios, and the almonds. And they, they, they lay out. And they're preparing to walk in with the gift. All right? And they come in to the meal, and immediately Joseph engages them about their father. He totally disregards the gift. That, it's not about that. What he wants to know, yeah, how is your father? Okay, he, oh, this is the younger brother. And immediately he blesses Benjamin in the name of Elohim. In the name of God, he blesses him. And then he leaves the room busts out of the room to weep because he's just overcome. He hasn't seen his younger brother for 22 years. Comes back, wipes his face, says, serve the meal. Now, Egyptians don't eat with shepherds. These are hairy guys. They're dressed in tunics. They don't particularly smell good. They've journeyed hundreds of miles and crossed desert to get there. All right, they may have washed, but that ain't cutting it based on Egyptian hygiene. So there are two tables. There's a high table and a low table. Guess who's sitting at the low table? All the shepherds. But Jacob, excuse me, but Joseph serves his brothers from the very table that's his. Now, granted, he is not native born. He's not an Egyptian by birth, but he breaks all kinds of protocol by serving them himself. And he sets them in place settings, in birth order. Rocks their world. Just rocks their world, because how could he know that? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. And then he brings food, and he piles five times as much food out on the plate of Benjamin, his blood brother. turns to his house steward, commands the steward, in Egyptian, you know, perhaps right in front of the brothers. The brothers don't speak Egyptian. Okay, so he gives the house steward instructions. Fill the men's sacks with food, much as they can carry. Heap it on them and put each man's money back in the mouth of the sack, just like he did before. Sets out to bless them. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money and the steward did exactly what 
Joseph told him. And here, there they go. They've eaten. They have eaten with the vizier. They've had a party. They got Simeon back. They got the grain. And Benjamin's going home in one piece. Mission accomplished. They're rolling north. And then Joseph turns to the house steward and says, go get him. Because obviously my cup is missing. My silver cup with which I do divination is missing. It's been stolen. It's got to be with those guys. All right, pause here, Forge family. A couple of times in this text, there's a reference to divination. Divination is using objects to discern the future, to tell the future. Okay, it's a, it's a dark art. It's an occult practice. And I, and I would say to you, I do not believe that that's what the truth is here. I, do not, I believe Joseph is God's man. And he would not in any way be doing divination. If he, sit, if he seated his brothers out in birth order, it was because he knew it. It wasn't because of divination. Okay? But I think he's trying to rattle their world. You know, that he knows more about them than could possibly happen, and he does it by, quote, divination, unquote. All right, All right close paren. He sends off the steward to ride down these guys as they are just leaving town. And, and the st steward shows up and says, why have you done evil when you've been treated so well? You know, you've stolen the master silver cup by which he does divination. And whoever, whoever has that, you know, is, yeah, is in deep durian. Okay? And the brothers all together, all 11 of them say, why would we ever do that? We brought the money back. We, we, we returned everything we took before, you know, and we tried to give it back. Why would we be thieves? And, and then they make a rash vow. <laughs> and they say, um, whoever, you know, it's not possible, it's absolutely impossible that we would have that cup. But if you find it, whoever has it is going to die. And the rest of us will be your slaves. And the steward says, Fine. Drop your sacks. So off, off, the down, off the donkeys they come. They open them and there's money, 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 money. And they're going, oh no, oh no, it's happening again. Oh no. And in Benjamin's sack, in the youngest brother's sack, is the silver cup. And the text says they tore their clothes. That's the ancient Near East way. It's the Near East way today of agony and grief and despair. You, you show your, your absolute... Uh, you know, uh, emotion breaks out. You tear your clothes. And that's what they did because Benjamin is a dead man and they're all slaves. And they're hustled back in front of Joseph and they, are, they throw themselves on the ground before him. And Joseph said to them, what is this deed that you've done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? I mean, he's just hammering on them. He's saying, of course I knew this was going on. Of course I knew this. Well, of course he knew it because he did it. He set the stage for this. He's the one who put the cup by means of a servant. He told his servant, put that cup in that sack. And then Judah stands up and he says, what can we say to my Lord, to Joseph? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are your slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup has been found. Okay, now Judah says, slaves, not, not a dead man. You know, he's, he's subtly saying, 
Benjamin doesn't die here. We'll all be slaves together. All right? But then he turns, you know, and, and he's in the face of Joseph, and Joseph says, far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go in peace to your father. Okay, he, he's, what he's trying to find out is, do you love your father? And do you love Benjamin? Because 22 years ago, you didn't love my dad, and you didn't love me. And Judah steps up, and he retells the whole story. Here's the situation. We had a brother, but that brother's dead, and it tore up, tore up our father, because he, he just, he just, he's still grieved to his socks that, that Joseph died. And this younger brother is the last of the sons by, that, by his mother, and if, if we return home and we go back without Benjamin, our father will die. And at that point, Joseph cannot control himself. The wall is coming down. And he, he cries out in the audience. And he, and he speaks, obviously, in Egyptian because he shouts and says, All of you leave me. Get out of the room. Well, he speaks in Egyptian. And all of, his, all of his servants, all the scribes, all the people that are part of his court who oversaw grain sales, they depart. They get out. They leave. But the 11 brothers of Jacob, excuse me, the 11 sons of Jacob are standing in front of him. They don't speak Egyptian, so they don't leave. And he turns to them and he says, I am Joseph. And he reveals himself to them. His weeping is heard all over that palace area, all over the grounds. And it's reported even to Pharaoh. <clears throat> and his brothers are, are there now between the cactus pad and the rock. This is their worst case scenario. The very brother that they betrayed, they were going to kill him. And then they decided, no, we're just going to leave him in this dry cistern and let him die by natural causes. No, 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 let's, let's make a profit on this. Let's sell him. 22 years before. And this man now reigns over Egypt and has the power of life and death. I mean, the text in English says they were dismayed at his presence. Literally, they're terrified. They are, they're, they're shaking in their sandals. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. You can imagine edging in closer. Like every time I get close to him, I'm closer, closer to my death. And he said, I'm your brother whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years and there are still five more years in which there will be neither plowing or harvesting. I mean, talk about more bad news. God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Literally, an escaped company. If I hadn't been here, and I hadn't prepared, and God hadn't been with me, you would have died in Canaan. But... God sent me ahead of you to make a way 
Now, therefore, it is not you who sent me here. I mean, keep saying this. Keep saying, this, you know, you thought this, you know, if you're thinking this was your fault, it wasn't. God, you know, you intended later, later in the text of, of Genesis, it says, you intended evil. God used it for good. Same deal here. Okay? <clears throat> therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over the, all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay, and you shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you. For there are still five years of famine to come, lest you and your household and all that you have be impoverished. That's another way to say you're going to be swept away. You need to come or die. And behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin sees, that it is my mouth that is speaking to you. Now you go tell my father about what you've seen, and hurry, bring my father here. And then he throws himself on his brother Benjamin and weeps. And then he turns and embraces each brother in turn. All right, Forge family. Look what God has done. Okay. Awesome. Awesome story. Awesome plot. But, you know, do you remember the insights into the character of Jacob that we talked about earlier in this podcast? Now, what I want to do here is... I want to read those characteristics back in reverse because I think they show an entirely different look at the character of Joseph. You see, number one for Joseph was trust God. Trust Yahweh, the covenant God. Four times in that chapter earlier when he's in the house of Potiphar, when he's in the jail, four times it says, and the Lord God of Israel, the covenant God, Yahweh, was with him. Of course, Joseph trusted God. Number one, trust God. Number two, don't defend yourself. Don't try and push blame off on other people. Okay? He's accused of sexual assault and he doesn't lift his voice because God is with him. In spite of those circumstances, he knows and God knows that ain't true. Okay, number three, he always, always, always is looking out for what God is doing and he's ready to point out what God is doing to others. He speaks the truth. He says over and over again in front of the baker and in front of the cupbearer and in front of Pharaoh, I don't do interpretation. Not my gig. But God will make it plain. God does interpretation. Okay, number five, problems are indeed as bad as they appear. He, he quickly sees things as they really are. When he was the steward over all of his household under Jacob, the land that was there that they, they occupied, the flocks, the herds, the finances, and he was shepherd over his brothers, he went immediately to his father saying, my brothers have character problems. They're doing wicked things. That is a real problem. He didn't duck the responsibility. 
Okay? And he doesn't duck the responsibility in front of Pharaoh to say, seven years of crushing famine. It's really as bad as you think it's going to be. In fact, it's going to be worse. Okay, he's able to speak what's true. And lastly, he deals with problems as they arise. Okay? He's able to say, he doesn't have the manana, you know, mindset. You know, like, oh, I get to the... He, he begins immediately to organize city by city, region by region in Egypt to be able to harvest and tax and store securely the mighty harvests of seven years. I mean, he gets on it because the problem is there and he deals with it immediately. In, the, in terms of testing with his brothers, okay, he's looking, has your character changed? Are, are you repentant for what you did to my father and to me? And do you really care for Benjamin? Or is he just the disposable ensign on the deck of the Enterprise? Okay, he's the one in the red suit. Oh, well, look at that. He got fried. You know, just like I was 22 years ago. And when it's clear, when it is clear that his brothers have been changed in this process, then he can let down the barrier between them and say, I am Joseph, your brother. All right, Forge family. Again, as you read these things, you know, about the, the, the character of Joseph, seize those, hold them close to your heart. You know, those are things that will be life to you. Now, it's not easy sometimes, but that's where you trust God. You know, that's where the list starts. You trust him. And he walks through that stuff with you. Heavenly Father, we ask you now, as we've seen these contrasts between the father and the 11th son, Joseph, between Israel and this man who God sent ahead of the family into Egypt to make a way where there seemed to be no way. Lord, we ask you now, uh, some of us have Joseph anointings. Some of, some of us um, are going to be those kinds of entrepreneurs or problem solvers for whole families and regions. Lord Jesus, uh, we honor you, we trust you, and we, we want to embrace the character of Joseph. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge family, brothers and sisters, love you. We'll see you soon.